Welcome to the EMJ Podcast. I'm Ellen Weber, Editor-in-Chief of the Emergency Medicine Journal. And today we're going to discuss an article that's appearing in the April issue of EMJ, Taking the Stage, a development program for women speakers in emergency medicine. The authors are Dr. Carmine Sunga and Dr. Dara Kass. And with me today is the senior author of that article, a dynamic woman who you'll learn more about during our interview, Dr. Dara Kass. Dara Kass is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Columbia University Medical Center in New York, where she also serves as the director of equity and inclusion for the emergency department. And as many of you may know, she is the founder of Feminem, an organization dedicated to the achievement of gender equity in emergency medicine. We'll learn more about Feminem and Dr. Kass a little bit later, but I do want to let you know that she does live in New York, actually in Brooklyn, New York, with her husband and children. So welcome, Dr. Cass. Thank you for having me, Dr. Weber. So I wanted to start with the article, but then we'll expand a little bit more into Feminem. So tell us about this um, program you developed. What drove you to create it? So actually, like all good innovation, it started with a competition. <laughs> so uh, at the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine Conference in 2016, there was a new competition uh, that was called Excite. And it was supposed to be a project that you could uh, submit to a panel of chairs uh, that they could implement in their department and for a very small amount of money. And then it would positively affect any aspect of gender equity in their department. So I had just uh, started writing a commentary and a couple of papers on increasing the number of women speakers in emergency medicine. And we had actually just launched the Feminine Speakers Bureau, which we will talk about in a little bit. But we wanted to think about how to increase the number of women speakers in our specialty as part of their professional development. And so I proposed... Uh, and I actually wrote it pretty quickly, basically a education program around speaker development. What would it look like to formally educate speakers, women speakers, on becoming a better speaker? Because, you know, historically in medicine, we're so good at expecting ourselves to be good at things naturally, except for medicine, right? So like we don't teach ourselves finance and we don't teach ourselves marketing and we don't teach ourselves public speaking. Yet, they're all part of our lives and careers as successful physicians. So if you could just parse out that one aspect of learning how to be a better speaker, would you also facilitate women becoming speakers, neutralizing the bias people have against women speakers, increasing the confidence that women speakers had, and increasing the quality of their lectures? And so we, I created this program and then the chair at Mayo, who is a wonderful advocate for all kinds of equity, uh, bought it, you know, so she paid $250 for the program uh, and, uh, you know, really good price. And we piloted it at the department uh, and we submitted an IRB beforehand to study the outcomes. And that's where this paper came from. Uh, I, I love that it came from a competition and also that you kind of just wrote it really quickly. Some, some of the best ideas come that way. Yeah. Uh, so tell us how the program works and how you got it off the ground. So the program's really simple, right? It's the idea that if you spend a year curating and cultivating a speaker at the end, they're going to have a high quality product. So what the department does is they identify, in this case, it was four women faculty members. At, and that's really between the chair and the champion, right? So I didn't do that. Um, they looked at their faculty and said, are there any number of people that we think could reasonably complete the program? And how would that 
development affect their careers and be positive for their careers, for the department's, you know, notoriety and, and all that kind of good stuff. So they picked four faculty members who met with the chair ahead of time and agreed to be participants. Then there was three basic phases of the program. So the first was kind of like education. So how are we going to educate people on becoming a better speaker? Well, there is content out there. So we use a couple of books on becoming a better speaker. A great one is Talk Like Ted, which is just kind of this um, social emotional way to create story. Uh, we gave them uh, PowerPoint slides about, you know, how do you create better slides and how do you get your messaging across. And then they watched actually a few now extinct videos on creating um, good slides, good stories, kind of, you know, Amalma too, who is an extraordinary speaker in emergency medicine, had a lecture on, you know, giving your story as a speaker. So there was a couple of really well-utilized uh, videos of other lectures that we use. That was phase one. Phase two was basically creating this talk. So they then went into some content that they wanted to develop, uh, whether it was based on their own niche or a departmental need or something they thought was marketable, whatever that would be. And that second phase was moderated by an external mentor, uh, Scott Weingart, who's a champion of all kinds of all things related to academics, especially increasing the number of women speakers on the stage. And so he was a resource for them. Uh, they wrote their talks, got feedback from the department, got feedback from their peers. They created basically a peer mentorship group. And then they delivered the talk. And so the idea was to deliver it, get feedback from the audience. Uh, and the, the program was developed so that they would do a, a local, a regional, and a national talk so that they would take the same program. You know, we forget that if you take the same lecture, you need to de deliver it multiple times for it to be good, right? This mm -hmm. idea that we give one lecture each time and write new lectures all the time is not the way that well-vetted and well-versed speakers do things. Right. So we wanted to create the culture and the idea that you could become a content expert and maybe you created a one hour long lecture that could be parsed down into three 20 minute subsegments. So that if you were giving like a lunchtime lunch and learn, you could do one section. Or if you were invited to give like a smaller talk, you could use the same content and you really kind of iterate these, this main talk into multiple versions that you can shop around. And now you've created what is a content expert and a confidence, you know, mindset around this particular skill. That's great. You know, Anna, we uh, have a commentary coming out with your article by Professor Sue Mason, who is one of the few female professors in emergency medicine in the UK. And she suggests that perhaps women actually are perfectly good speakers, but they don't have the confidence or they don't or they feel they need to even be better than men. What do you think about that idea in terms of the context of your program? So I think that that is true and not true. <laughs> Let me just say it that way. I think it's rooted in a lot of historical bias, um, you know, kind of tropes we have, but, but those are also rooted in some truth, right? So I think that women do have a confidence gap. There's entire books of it written about that. There is an element of imposter syndrome. And there also is, you know, there's data that shows that women speak after they're content experts, but men go on the stage and become content experts on the stage. So I totally agree that that is part of it. I also uh, believe that there is a skill to be curated. And in all fairness, all of our speakers probably should become educated speakers before they get on stage, right? Men and women. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, the idea that women are perfectly good, sure, we're all basically average, 
but we could probably all be better. And so this idea that there is an education program around this, uh, a service you're providing to the audience, right? People pay money sometimes for these, these tickets, for these conferences, and we should take that to mean something. We have the content. So in, in that way, I think she's correct insofar as we are perfectly good at the knowledge, right, behind the content. We all are, we are definitely smart enough. I think that there's a, there's a real argument to be made that we should all be coached to become better speakers, but that the coaching itself may be more impactful on women than on men based on rooted gendered biases and perspectives that we have. I can see what you're saying, yeah, that, that some of it is we need to in some sense, be, be trained, but also have the confidence that we were trained in order to get out there and do a really good job. It's true for everything else we do. That's right. So Dara, let's talk a bit now about uh, the bigger thing in, in your life. Or uh, You're the mastermind founder, um, or maybe for lack of a better term, the mother of Feminem. And uh, people, most of the women in, in emergency medicine now in the U.S. know about Feminem, but perhaps you could describe it for our listeners outside of the U.S. What is it? What does it do? So uh, Feminem started as a blog. Then actually, I'd argue that I'd, I'd credit the international community for helping start it. So, you know, uh, 2015, there was an enormous push towards foam, the free open access medical education. And a lot of that was rooted in England, right, with the team, mm-hmm. team at St. Emlyn's and the SMAC conference. And that is well known to all the readers of your journal, right? Um, right. And that community actually helped us uh, feel confident in developing a blog for women in medicine. And when we came out... Uh, with the blog in September of 2015, the first really huge supportive tweet we had was from the SMAC team, right? Roger Harris and Ali Flower and, and Simon Carley. And they were so amazingly supportive of the idea that a, a website, a blog for women in medicine and emergency medicine would be valuable. They said literally that day, it was probably the most impactful thing to happen in emergency medicine this year. And that meant so much to us coming out. Um, and then what has happened is by having the platform, the website, which was rooted in the idea that knowledge translation is faster over social media, and if we're doing things for our academic and clinical knowledge, wouldn't we do it for our professional development as well? Uh, it, having that platform then provided the space to solve problems, right? So for example, when we realized that there were not enough women speakers on stage and the team at St. Emblem's in EMJ wrote an article about the number of women speakers in emergency medicine and Esther Chu and I wrote a commentary about that. That's right. We realized, you know, in that same time space that having a cohort space of women speakers that could be easily found and vetted would be very helpful to the entire academic community. And we created the Feminem Speakers Bureau based on that, which is a searchable database of women speakers in our field that can be used by anybody around the world. And so the the website Feminem allowed us to start answering questions and solving problems without any of the walls or barriers that an academic institution would have. So we just do things and we do them quickly and we do them efficiently. And so that has evolved to a podcast and it has evolved to a uh, in-person conference. And we are constantly started a nonprofit gender equity and medicine research foundation. Um, And so we constantly are building new efforts to support the careers of women in medicine. And, um, and that really kind of knows no limits. 
So, so maybe getting back to the crux of this, um, why do women need this support? Why are, why are we doing this? Why, uh, why was this necessary? So it's funny, um, there was an article in the Harvard Business Review, which is um, really a great place to learn about the senses of being human, for lack of a better term. And they just came out with an article about women who network like women are better, do better at work than women who network like men. And what they were basically saying is that the power of women's networks, the power of the community, the power of a term that we created called the raft, but the idea that women amplifying and supporting each other has exponentially higher value in the careers of women than if they try to do things the way that men do has been now proven out. And so what is the power of the network for women? It ultimately is that we know by data that women bear a larger proportion of domestic work than their male colleagues. We know by data that there are all these gender-based biases that women come into any you know, career development issue with like being a speaker and imposter syndrome. And we know by data that there is a protective effect to having a large network of other women to support and amplify the work that you're doing, right? And if you go back to this program, one of the core tenets of the success of this program, I think, is the peer mentorship group. It's the idea that there are, in this case, four women and a female chair with a advisor who happens to not be female, who are now supporting the work that they're doing to get out there and speak. And so we networking, I think, is critical, not only just networking to like create your 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 to promote your career, but really kind of a support network, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a, a basis, a fundamental, uh, you know, kind of grounding of the work that you do, I think is integral to your success, your humanity, your safety, um, and is, is probably the best thing you can invest in early in your career. Yeah, I, I, that sounds like very important work. And I think you're right about the word, the word networking often comes out as I'm just trying to get ahead. But I think for women, it's a, it is a lot more about the, the support and the learning about how you can do things and how the world works that we didn't get educated in earlier on. And I will say, you know, just to, to kind of put it out there is that, you know, it, men have, network, have networked for generations in a way that is very useful to them as generally having the control. We all exist in historical patriarchy, which is not a bad word. It's just a fact. It is, we are, it is created that in general, by default, leaders are perceived to be men, right? They're the ones. So by any time you deviate from that and it goes, you know, gender-based biases are one thing and then, you know, racially and ethically based biases are a whole other issue. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that, that we learn and we see with the work we do at Feminem is men will probably do better if they are able to act more like women. Let me just say it that way, right? So that a lot of the reasons why men burn out and feel alienated and are, you know, create cultures the way they do are because they're not feeling supported and they're not feeling amplified and they're not feeling, you know, kind of like allowed to be flawed. And if we allow them that space in the way that we allow ourselves that space, the whole culture probably would change even faster. Wow. That's a great, great idea. So thank you, Dara. This has been just really interesting. And I think the important, an important message, not just for the women, but for the men in, in emergency and basically all of medicine is how we can live more fulfilled and, and uh, more developed careers. If you had one message to leave, let's say for the women in emergency medicine, what would it be? It would fundamentally be do not do this alone. In whatever, wherever your people are, whoever they are, 
wherever they are in your career and anything, you cannot, this job is emotionally taxing. It is extraordinary. It is funny a lot. And, you know, there's also those days where it's terrible, right? And so yep. there is, there is the, 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 the epidemic of burnout and suicidality and all those other things we see in emergency medicine are almost always directly correlated with the isolation of the physician. And so if, if any physician, especially women, take one thing away from this, and this is where this program, you know, kind of also was rooted in, it's find your people, lean on them, and let them support you. And if you do that, I think you'll all be pretty successful. Thank you so much, Dr. Cass. It's been really a pleasure talking to you, and I hope uh, the listeners take all that to heart. Thank you for having me. So once again, look for Dr. Cass and Dr. Sunga's article in the April issue of the EMJ, Taking the Stage, a Development Program for Women Speakers in Emergency Medicine, and the accompanying commentary by Dr. Suzanne Mason. Links for this will be present on the podcast description, as well as links for some of the other articles we've written on women in emergency medicine. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.